In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. Can we say life? life. In Him was life, and the life was a light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. If you remember the story from Genesis 3 of the fall of man, uh, there was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the first man and first woman, according to that story, chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They chose to uh, rebel against God's plan. He warned them, if this happens, you will die. And so, as a result of them eating of that fruit, they became separated from God. It's as though they declared independence from God by doing that. He was their source of right and wrong. And they were already like him, but they were tempted to think that they weren't like him. They were tempted to think that they didn't have life. And yet, you know, they, they didn't have a life. You know, God's holding out on you guys. Don't you want to know right from wrong? Why don't you eat of this tree? And so they pursued life from something else. And so Christ came to a fallen world, uh, trying to live independently of God. He came as God manifested in flesh, and he came to bring life. In him was this life. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full, can we say full? Full. Full of grace and truth. So in him was life, and in him is grace, and in him is truth. So he's not only alive, but he's got life for us. And he said later on in this book, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So he came to bring life. He came to impact our lives. Obviously, he came to make a way for us to have eternal life. But I think it's so much more than that. He came to give us a way to live where he empowers us to live according to his grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Verse 16. Of his fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. We're going to come back to that. I'm going to speak to you on grace for grace, uh, the Lord willing, this evening. But of his fullness, we have all received. Now, John wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation. It's believed this is the last book he wrote. So this is the last of the four Gospels to be written. He's an old man. He survived an attempted execution. And he survived being put off on an island by himself. What's that called? Uh, Exile. He survived exile. He's an old man. And he's still preaching the truth. And he's still testifying that we have received his fullness. Of his fullness, we have all received. So he's full of life. In him was life. And life was the light of men. And he's full of grace and truth. So of his fullness we have all received. What is his fullness? It's life. It's grace. It's truth. It's a truth about his grace. A truth about his life. And anyway. I don't want to belabor the point. But I just am, am rocked with this, this understanding. 
uh, verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So tonight I hope to declare some things about the truth about grace. Uh, The longer I live, the more I realize that man without God needs law. Without God, man must have law to set him in order. And so every year our government, which is called lawmakers, the Senate and the Congress are passing new laws. Some are good, some not so good. What are they doing? They're attempting to balance the scales of justice. They're attempting to make things fair for minority and attempting to, sometimes it seems like they're trying to redistribute wealth. They're attempting to do things through the creation of laws. And so in our nation, as it becomes more and more godless, the, the number of laws is increasing more and more. I read that we have over 100, maybe 150,000 pages of law that fill up multiple volumes. Uh, a few years ago, they printed up the volumes, and it was over five feet in thickness of books. That's a long way from the Bible, which mine has less than 1,000 pages in both Testaments. It's a long way from the law of Moses, which had 600 and some commandments. It's a long way from the Ten Commandments. It's a long way from the two commandments that Christ said the law of Moses and the prophets hang on. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's a, law, it's a long way from the 70 commands that Jesus gave that he told his disciples to go and make disciples and teach them to observe everything he commanded. So as culture becomes more and more godless... The laws increase more and more. Why? Because without law and without God, we are anarchists. For, for everything we invent, it creates new problems. New crimes are now being committed that weren't even crimes a few years ago before the Internet. So we need God. Why? Because he has more laws for us. No, because he has grace for us. We need laws without him because we are ungodly and we are a bunch of sinners without him. Before knowing him, we were sinners. Life on the earth is long on law because people are sinners. After pastoring for a few years and seeing the church grow to 50, I went through a season where it wasn't fun anymore. I just wasn't enjoying myself. And so I took my family camping in Meridian, Texas. And the next morning, it was a Saturday, we went on a Friday and camp, our kids were smaller. Uh, the next morning, we, my son and I get up early and we walk around the, the lake or the pond there. Who's been to Meridian State Park? It's nice. Texas has awesome state parks. They really do. Um, and I'm skipping rocks. And I said, Lord, what's the deal? I, I know you call me, but I, I'm not. Where's the joy? You, you know, what, what's wrong with me? And three words appeared in my heart that brought peace to me, it brought understanding to me, and it, brought, it gave me a purpose. And those three words are people are sinners. Now, I knew that, but I really didn't know that. Suddenly, it all made sense. 
whatever it was that was bugging me back then, that was bothering me about church life, uh, was a result probably of somebody sinning or something going wrong. Uh, maybe somebody wasn't happy with something, I don't know. But suddenly, it all made sense. The church exists. Jesus came. There's, people are called into ministry. Churches are planted because people are sinners. And they need a Savior. Amen. So it's like, yes, Lord, I'll do your will. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a put down from pe- on people. It was just a recognition that people need a Savior. So life in, in itself is long on law. And a life that's full of law really isn't life, is it? Just a bunch of legalism. If you raise your kids with just a bunch of rules and there's no relationship or love to balance that, obviously children need rules to learn how to live and how to wipe their bottoms and all kinds of other things they need because they're not born knowing how to do that. But if all they're raised with is instruction, law, 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 you're going to provoke them to wrath. Well, life itself is long on law. Just lots of law. And as people, we oftentimes, because of our weakness, will we'll put laws on ourselves. In the pursuit of excellence, we'll, we'll demand that we do things better and do things harder and do things uh, better. Otherwise, we don't have any worse. Life is short on grace many times because people are trying to redeem themselves. If we're redeemed, it's because... The word was made flesh. God sent his son to redeem us. So anything we do, whether it's excellent or not, we do it for him. Not to earn his favor, but because of his favor. This verse says, of his fullness, verse 16, we have all received and grace for grace. I don't have the full understanding of what grace for grace is, but I know the preposition for can mean different things. If I go to the store for a loaf of bread, it's not in order that a loaf of bread comes into existence. It's because a loaf of bread is there. And it's because I need it. So if he's given us grace, it's not so that grace will come into existence. If he's given us grace for grace, he's given us grace so that we can receive grace. Grace so that we can receive grace. Now, I know our testimonies include the story of how we decided to follow Jesus. But let me ask you, what set you up to deciding to follow Jesus? What opened your eyes to see your need for a Savior? The Holy Spirit. By God's grace, he came to you and convicted you of sin and showed you your need for a Savior. But many times as believers, because of the world in which we live, with all its rules and all its laws and all of its values, and the thing that it esteems, uh, it takes a while to renew our minds and get away from that. We're not called to be slackers, but we're not called to be people of action where all of our worth is based on what we do. We weren't saved based on what we do. And we, we are kept saved because of what he's done. He's done it all for us. While the pursuit of excellence is honorable, it can become idolatrous. If I have sung a song perfectly and I feel good about myself, what's going to happen when I don't sing it so perfectly? I'm going to feel bad about myself. 
I'm not saying we're not supposed to practice and do our best to sing, but our perfection is based on His perfection. We already have His approval. Let's allow that approval to have an impact on us where we don't serve Him for respect from others or for approval from others. The drive to perform is everywhere in the unbelieving world. To perform, to be better, to be in the top, to make it, to get the trophy, to hit the home run. And sometimes that drive is even in the church. One church will compare itself to another. A pastor will compare himself to another pastor. And there's this drive to, to, to excel. And You know, I heard one pastor say, if there's an Olympics for preaching, he's going to win the trophy. And I thought, man, you're good. But if there was that, I know some guys that are way better than you. <laughs> the blessing in his life isn't based on his preaching skill. It's based on God's grace. It's an amazing testimony of God's goodness at that congregation. We should all be about highlighting the one who came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I think sometimes we focus on two things. The day we got saved and the day we're going to heaven. Between the two, we're on our own. No. We're saved spiritually. We're being saved, our minds being renewed, and we shall be saved. Our bodies will be replaced. Our spirits have re- been reborn when we're born again. Our minds are being renewed. Hopefully some of that could happen here today. And our bodies are going to be replaced. So we're saved, we're being saved as it were, and we shall be saved. So Christ's grace is at work all the time. We have received grace for grace. Now, there are some that might preach a message of cheap grace. Cheap grace. Well, I'm covered by grace. I can just live however I want. And use that as a license to sin. Well, the fruit, how, how's that working for you? But you're not going to like the fruit of that. You're going to come out with some scars and, and your, your uh, testimonies are going to become invalid in the eyes of the world. But I think even a bigger problem is the problem of cheap law. God's law is so expensive that we can't, if we're going to live by laws, we're going to live by principles and values to improve ourselves on our own without any grace, uh, we're going to lessen the value of what God calls perfection. Trying harder to be righteous cheapens God's righteousness. His righteousness is so perfect, we are hopeless to ever achieve that. That's why His righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us as a gift. It's given to us as a gift. Uh, We all know about the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin is like you owe a big debt and someone forgave you the debt. It's great. To no longer, no longer have a debt. Let's say you loan your headphones to somebody. And they loan them to somebody else. And then they get lost. <coughs> when you forgive that person his debt, because he's responsible for the expensive headphones you loan him. When you forgive him, that's awesome. He no longer owes you anything. He's forgiven. Isn't that great? 
That's forgiveness of sin. But Jesus goes beyond that. He goes beyond taking our books out of the red and giving us a zero balance, no longer owing anything. He gives us his righteousness. Now I'm no longer in debt. I'm rich. Maybe I owed a million dollars. And if I owed a million dollars, to have that debt forgiven would be great, wouldn't it? But now I, through imputed righteousness, I've been granted riches worth more than a million dollars. It can't be measured. This is grace for our sins. And grace. this is grace for grace. Forgiveness and righteousness. Taking away and giving. He gives and takes away. He takes away our sins and he gives us his righteousness. To believe otherwise is to say God's law is something we can fulfill. The law of Moses could never be fulfilled. The Jews in the Old Testament never did practice the law the year of Jubilee. They couldn't do it. Took too much faith. They wouldn't do it. They didn't do it. They created more loopholes to defend their disobedience and they couldn't. They cheapened God's law by, by trying to live by His law. Paul said in Galatians, the law is our schoolmaster. Pointing us to Christ. We can't keep it. We can't be righteous enough. God's perfections are too righteous for us. So Christ came. And paid the price for breaking the law of God. By dying for our sins. But he didn't stop there. He gave us life. He lives the Christian life. His presence in us. Is his life. That empowers us to live out his will. And I believe that he not only saves us from our sins, but he saves us from life's rat races. Tell me if this rings any bells. There's the drive to save ourselves. There's addictions to people's approval. If I'm not approved by everybody, my day's going to be ruined. There's performanceism. There's self-justification. I'm quick to defend myself. God forbid that anybody should say anything about me that's not true. And so I'm always on the defensive. There's a fear of failure. God forgive, God forbid that I should fail. And I stay up late at night being afraid of, of, afraid of failing. There's a quest for our identity. The quest for significance. I'm not yet significant, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to become significant. These things may appear to inspire us to action, but actually they leave us bankrupt because Christ is out of the equation. Oh, he did this for me. Now I'm going to do this for him. We can't do anything for him without his help. There's life's must. I have to do this. We must do this. I must have a car. We must go on vacation. We must this or that. If we don't, then it's all horrible. Um, the quest to be validated by others, to appease our peers, to be secure. I mean, how much security do you need? You got a security system, you got security cameras, and yet somebody still breaks in your house. So you go get guns and shoot somebody. Now how secure are you in jail trying to defend yourself? Uh, there's, there's idolatry. There's, there's the need to always fix yourself and fix people. Now, I'm not building the defense to be a slacker. Please understand that. I believe that if we understand how much God loves us and how gracious His grace is for the grace that He gives us, 
It inspires us to live from a position of victory and not for some lofty goal. There's a difference. What is the cure? Somebody said something? Okay. Here's, here's some cures. And this one may throw you for a curve. Let Christ free you from pursuing your rights. Sometimes the quest for justice gets us living in our own strength outside the love and life that God has for us. Well, isn't there the Bill of Rights? Yes, we have the Bill of Rights. They were created by the lawmakers in our land to help bring justice to the world of injustice. All right, I'm not throwing rocks at them. We need to seek to bestow rights upon others. But if we're focused on our rights all the time, this is going to energize us with the law of knowledge of good and evil and not the life that Christ has for us. We need to realize that we are worse than we think we are. But God's grace is better than we know. You know, if I could just be just a little bit better, then I would be a good person. No, we all stink. Self-righteousness is as filthy rags. And that verse was written in a day when there wasn't any such thing as toilet paper. So you can guess what filthy rags are. That's what our righteousness is to God. That's why Christ came and gave us his righteousness. So we are worse than we think we are. And his grace is better than we know. We need to remember that there is nothing we can do to satisfy our expectations or anyone else's expectations. Because they are often not God's will for us anyway. And if you achieve that expectation, you're not going to be happy. I mentioned the kids camp thing earlier. For years, that was our vacation. I took time off work where I wasn't, or, you know, I didn't get paid vacation, so off work, there's no income. And so you still got to pay bills, so you get time off work, so you have a lack of income, and yet an increase of expenses because you're on vacation, right? So what do you do? You go to kids camp. One year, I said, I am sick and tired of giving my time to serve other people's kids. We're going to take a vacation. Well, we still had the same economic dilemma in place. So what we do? Went to see relatives. It was not fun. It was not fun. My ears rang most of the week. I wasn't happy. I should have pursued Jesus for life to enable me to do what he wanted me to do. We need to know that Christ is who completes us. Not ourselves. We don't have what it takes. We cannot pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. If you need to go up another level, you can't do it yourself. You need help. And your Heavenly Father wants to help. We need to believe that His perfection makes us whole. Not our performance. This doesn't mean you don't go to school and prepare for what God's called you to do. But need to know that you are already complete in Christ. And your going to school isn't to make yourself complete or even to make yourself a better person. It's just to equip you for the life he's called you to live. 
We need to believe that His perfection makes us whole, not our performance. We need to see our definition of success as falling short of His. His definition of success is to stand before Him one day and hear, Well done, a good and faithful servant. We need to learn that we are not to do what we do. That we are, okay, we need to learn that we are not what we do, but we are who we are because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So we are not defined by what we do. We are defined by what he, he's already done for us. And we need to stop searching for what we already possess. This is the original temptation. You go with me to Genesis 3, as the Bible relates it. It says, Now the serpent, verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So you see, he twisted God's word. So you you shouldn't eat of any of the trees of the garden or every tree? No, we can eat of all the trees, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's the temptation. They were tempted to believe that they weren't like God. They were already like God. Go to Genesis 1. Opening verses of the Bible, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God said, then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb. And he just goes on and on and on, lists his blessings for them. Now let me ask you, were they like God? Yes. But the temptation said, God doesn't want you to eat of the forbidden fruit. Because if you do, you'll be like God. They're already like God. Alright. Here's what happens to believers who do not depend on the grace of God to complete them. Is they set about searching for what is already theirs. I heard a story of a guy who got a ticket to sail from Europe to the Americas. And it was like a third class ticket. He got on board, he packed himself some crackers and cheese and starved himself 
all the way there. Sometimes he would walk by the dining hall and look in the windows and just his stomach would just growl to be able to eat some of that fine food. But all he could afford was a third class ticket. When they arrived in New York City, getting off the boat, the captain is greeting all the passengers. And the captain shook his hand and said, Sir, I don't believe I saw you. What table did you sit at in the dining hall? What was the table number you were at? Because I try to meet all my passengers. He says, oh, I couldn't afford a meal ticket. All I had was this ticket. The captain said, let me see this ticket. Oh, this is a third-class ticket, sir. This provides all meals. Meals are provided. Meals are provided. He lives short of the benefits that were already his. How many times as believers are we tempted to think that there's nothing for us when God has everything for us? We need to resist the original temptation, which was to think they weren't like God when they were already like him. And finally, don't die of thirst with fresh water all around. There's some wonderful people in the world, and yet there's some lonely people in the world. And some people, I don't know if it's the way they were raised or what happened, or only people hurts in their lives, but they don't have any friends. No complain about it. I don't have any friends. And there's friends all around them. They live in a sea of people. No friends. Bible says a man wants to have friends, he must be friendly. That's right. There's people wrestling with addictions, hooked on stuff, and have no hope of ever being free. And all around them are former addicts, people that have the answers to help get them free. But they think they've got a third glass ticket. You know, they think that somehow they're less than other people. That is a lie. I don't care what your past is. I don't care if you're an ex-con, if you're a registered offender of some sort. You are righteous in the eyes of God. There may be some areas of ministry, depending on what, what you're registered for, that you might not be qualified to do on this side of heaven, but there's all kinds of other ministries you can do. Don't be robbed from the life that Jesus is full of to give to you. Salvation is not just fire insurance. I mean, it's wonderful that that's all it is. It's not. It is life. And life more abundant. And grace. And grace for grace. And truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you are that solid cornerstone. That we are built on you. Help us, Lord, not just as a church, but as individual believers to recognize any time we're not building on you. Any time we're not living from the life that you give. In Jesus' name, Lord, give us grace to rest when we need to rest. To let you take care of the rest. In Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for your unprecedented blessings on this congregation, on this work, on these leaders. On this group, Lord, give us wisdom to do your will. And Lord, it's not for significance, but it's for your glory that we do this. And we need your help to do that. In Jesus' name.